Welcome to the Alpha Dude Podcast with Michael Pulser. What would it be like if you knew that you were unstoppable and you could live life on your terms? Better yet, how good would it feel knowing that on your deathbed, you had fulfilled all your potential and more? Life on Earth has a beginning and an end. It's what you do in the middle that counts. Let's look at how to make that part even better. Now, suppose you have a really important decision you need to make. How are you going to decide what to do? You have two options, and they both sound equally the same as far as work, as far as what you hope to achieve, but which one is the right choice to make? This episode will focus on decisions. Whenever we make decisions, it's so pivotal because, as I mentioned in the last episode, every single one of our decisions form our life. If we don't make decisions on a step-by-step, day-by-day basis, we don't actually make any progress. So it's imperative that we realize, number one, that we have these decisions to make, number two, that we're in control, and number three, that it's the accumulation of these decisions which form our destiny. So how do we get about actually making the right decision? Firstly, I would like to say this. Generally speaking, you'll hear me talking about objective and subjective. Objectively, there are some things that have absolute truth and merit and utility, but most of the time, it's subjective truth. Like, do you like ice cream that's chocolate or strawberry? When we talk about life decisions, most of these are subjective. What are you going to do today? There is no right answer. It's pretty much subjective. So first thing, don't get caught up in the fact that it has to be perfect because there is often no perfect. There's just the best out of many options. Number two, make sure you've always got more than one option because if you've got two choices, then it's a problem. If you've got multiple choices, then it moves beyond to a challenge and eventually to a stage where you have so many opportunities, it's kind of like a smorgasbord and you get to decide what to do on your terms. So let's begin. Step one, clarify what is important to you. What is it that you want to achieve? Often we just go out and base our decision on what we feel like rather than what we're actually looking to do. If we can realize what we want to happen or what we want to affect, then the rest comes together pretty easily. Step two, you've decided what you want. Decide how you need to get rid of the things that drain you. Now, this sounds like a weird thing to put into a decision-making process, but consider this. Let's say that you've decided to be generic and say you want to lose 10 kilos. How are you going to do it? I mean, why are you going to do it? What's it? Why is it so important to you? Well, you've gone through that through step one. Step two, now you're faced with reality. Two days into it, you're surrounded by food at a party. Are you going to give in to temptation? Well, the easy thing is to plan for it. Get rid of the things that drain you. Step three is to apply focus and to stay on track. In order to do this, it's a moment-by-moment decision that we make to do this. And what's interesting is that the more that we apply it, the easier it is. So if you were going to lose weight and you decide, I don't know, 
I'm not a weight loss specialist, but you decide not to eat any more chocolate. Then the first day of saying no to chocolate might be a bit of white knuckling. Second, third day, maybe as well. But you get to two months of having no chocolate and chances are you won't actually be hanging out for it. It might be something you miss or remember, but it's not as prevalent as it was on day one. So you have to have something to apply the focus and to stay on track. And usually this means an idea of what the success will look like in the future. So it's simply focusing and staying on track that will get you there. Step four is to amp it up with psychology. Throughout this podcast series, there have been so many ways in which you can learn how to master your psychology, whether using NLP, change technology, or so many other techniques. And it's all about utilizing this for your advantage. Because face it, let's say that you say no to any of the psychological techniques we've talked about so far. Guess what? your subconscious is going to use it. Consider, for example, visualization, where one of the confidence exercises, you you make yourself bigger and stronger and more brilliant. You use your five traditional senses to really amp it up and make yourself bigger and more powerful. You take that picture and you step into it and you feel more confident, right? Well, you say no to that. Consider this. When things are going bad, you will often reflect on yourself as being weak and if you have a visual conception of what you look like in that moment chances are your unconscious has used a similar process in reverse so use psychology take it to your advantage I won't go into all the techniques this episode we've been through many of them we'll cover so many more in future podcasts but amp it up with psychology step five is to find balance and a healthy lifestyle Why this is so important is because if you are a one-trick pony or if you have one focus, you will find that things start to fall around you. If your sole focus in life is to lose that weight, hey, maybe you might be successful. But suddenly notice about the marriage, how it doesn't have the attention it deserves, how your work is suffering, all of these sort of things. There is a time and a place for everything. And it's so important that we have Uh, a period to focus on the things that are most important to us like specific goals and to give them the specific time that they require but it's never ever right to drop everything sure you can focus for an extended period for a season on something you're working on but as soon as you drop the ball in other arenas watch how your supports fall away and your resilience drops off with it and finally step number six Set up contingencies which can help you to overcome problems. In the weight loss scenario, it's simple things like you're getting invited to the party, make sure you bring your own food. I don't know. This is not a weight loss episode. But more than having physical contingencies, which is important, it's about having psychological contingencies. So what does this look like? Essentially, if you are going to work towards something, There will be psychological blocks that get in your way. And if you have ways to deal with it before they come up in the moment, then your world's ahead. So this includes things like emotional regulation skills. So when you have that intense level of anger or frustration, perhaps you're into mindfulness, make sure that you've used it in advance so that you can use it in the moment. 
if let's say that you're into NLP and you're getting overwhelmed by everything, now just shrink everything down using your visualization and make everything so it's more manageable. Whatever it is, have these contingencies set up both for the physical and for the mental. And with these six steps, you should be able to overcome anything that's in your way when you make decisions. And by the way, whatever decision you make is probably the right one. Once you've made a decision, you're not stuck with it. Give it the time it needs. Let it play out. If it's something that does take the work and you've considered it, don't give up as soon as something gets in the way. Once you have this plan, it allows you to have the strength and resilience and resolve to go on. But that being said, life changes. If you feel that you're on a different purpose and it's for all the right reasons, then absolutely evaluate the plans. But don't chop and change all the time. I hope this helps. Decisions dictate our life, be it good or bad. The double edge of the same knife cuts deep, so intentionality counts. Please take the steps outlined in this episode introspectively and discern its value. Regarding the title, Using Modern Psychology to Escape Prison, albeit I am talking about the mental prison we lock ourselves in, our next guest, John Henderson, is on to discuss how he used psychology to escape his mental prison, which led eventually to him actually leaving the physical prison he was in. Here's John. My name's John Henderson. I have an incredible insight into the power of influence. Like most authors of books about influence, I have experienced high-stress sales environments, signed six-figure deals, spoken to large audiences, built million-dollar businesses, and felt the pressure and the power of influence in the moment. But I have a perspective most of those other authors don't. Because even though I can draw from those high-level experiences, nothing impressed me more than an instant that occurred to me while I was being booked into jail. I started out my adult life as a high school dropout with a few addictions, living on the couches made available by my friends, the backseat of my car, or wherever I happened to pass out that night. I didn't choose to drop out. I had a violent alcoholic father who thought it was best to pull me out of school and kick me out of the house when I was 17 years old. Unable to go back to school without the consent of a parent, I was out in the world to try to figure things out <laughs> on my own. And so I spent many nights in and out of jail and making choices that wouldn't reflect the person that I am today. In fact, that person is a far cry from the successful business owner, speaker, and author that I find when I look in the mirror now. But as I said, in the late 90s, I was in and out of jail. On the occasion in question, I had caused a major ruckus with my neighbors and was being booked into the Coconino County Jail for some troubling crimes. During this process, it was customary for me to scowl at the corrections officer just to show him or her how tough I thought I was. As I turned the corner after being fingerprinted, I prepared my very best tough guy face for the guard. 
I shot my usual glare in the direction of where I knew the officer would be, and I melted. The officer was not a stranger. He was a young man, just a few years older than me. His name was Kinney, but I didn't have to read his badge to know that. Kinney had gone to high school with me. We were 200 miles from the school where I had failed to graduate, but that Kinney had proudly conquered. Our paths crossed two mountain ranges away from where we grew up, and as my tough guy face faded, Kinney looked at me sadly. He was not angry, arrogant, or overly physical, which were three things I had come to expect from the Department of Corrections. He was hurt. He had empathy, but most of all, it seemed that he cared. Kinney hadn't known me well, but in our tiny school, no one went unnoticed. I'm sure, like most of us, it was a shock for Kinney to see just how far down a fellow classmate could fall. Then he said two sentences that changed my life. What are you doing here, man? It wasn't an accusation, it was remorseful. There was a heavy emphasis on the word here, as if to say, of all the places. He was saying, you could be so much more than the guy I'm herding into this cell. And in that moment, I felt something inside of me. As soon as I felt it, Kenny said exactly what I was feeling with his second and final sentence. It was the last thing I ever heard him say. I've not encountered him since, but if I do, I will hug him and tell him that on that dark night, under the cold fluorescent lights in the Coconino County Jail, he spoke one of the most influential sentences ever spoken to me. He said, You're better than this. That moment showed me the power of empathetic and caring influence. It taught me the difference between trying to force change on someone and showing a person that they are worth making a better choice. This moment started my growth into personal development. In fact, there were many moments that ratcheted me towards the person that I am today. And one of them occurred as I was in jail. I noticed every person in jail was innocent. <laughs> you see, I went to some of the facilities managed by Sheriff Joe Arpaio in the 90s. He was deemed America's toughest sheriff. He instituted chain gangs, tent jail facilities without climate control here in Arizona in the desert, and pink underwear for the prisoners to wear, including me. And as I sat in some of those jails, sat in some of those facilities, and sat among some of those people, I noticed that all of them were innocent. Every person that I ran into had a reason why it wasn't their fault. But as I got out, I started to make different choices. I started to think differently. I started to look for and seek out people who were much more successful than me. And as I found those people, I started to interview them started to ask them questions, and I noticed something about them as well. They were all guilty. You see, when there was a mistake in their business, they owned it. When there was a mistake in their life, they owned it. They told me about the things they had gotten wrong. They told me about the things they had messed up. Where the people in prison had never made a mistake by their own account... The successful people had made plenty. And I noticed in that moment, or in that instance, 
that ownership of your mistakes, that responsibility, that accountability was the difference between the people I had previously spent time with and the people I was spending time with today. And so I made myself accountable. I decided to own the mistakes that I had made. I decided that I was guilty. And that guilt has brought me a long ways from where I started back then. And I don't mean guilt, the feeling of regret. I mean guilt, the noun. The dictionary says the noun is guilt, the fact of having committed a specified or implied offense or crime. That's the guilt that changed everything for me. Guilt, the truth, not guilt, the harmful pain. But that guilt was painful in some instances. That ownership was hard. Saying, yes, I messed this up for the first time was one of the most difficult things I ever had to do. But I did it. I owned my mistakes. And by owning my mistakes, I got to own my successes. Jim Rohn used to say, the bad news is, it's all your fault. But the good news is, if it's all your fault, you can fix it. He used to say that, If it's the government's fault, if it's your in-law's fault, if it's your family's fault, if it's society's fault, there's nothing you can do. But as soon as it's all your fault, you can change everything. And that's what I learned as I started my journey towards the life I live today. It was all up to me. I didn't get to walk away from the mistakes that I had made, but I also didn't get to give credit for the successes to somebody else. These were two revelations that changed everything for me. It wasn't hard to realize that as a young man, I was put into a precarious situation. I hadn't decided to drop out of high school, but if we're being honest, I hadn't done great in high school either. I hadn't decided to leave my house at 17, but if we're being honest... I hadn't given my family much of a reason to care to be around me when I was 17 either. If we're being honest, I didn't go to jail and deal with pink underwear because Sheriff Joe Arpaio was a jerk. I went to jail because I hurt people. I took things from people. I made bad choices. And owning all of that gave me the opportunity to say, I don't have to do it anymore. I don't have to be a bad student of life anymore. I don't have to be someone people don't want to be around anymore. I don't have to take things from people. I can choose to give things to people. I don't have to hurt people anymore. I can help heal them. Once everything was my fault, everything changed. Today I own a business that's worth around $4 million. Today, I've been married 20 years to a beautiful lady. I have an adult son who's 18 years old. I have another son who's 16 and a daughter who's 7. We have a home that I choose to enjoy. We have a home that's much different than 
homes that I've been familiar with because I chose that. I have a business that people enjoy working in. I have a business that makes money. I never did go back to high school, but I continued my education vigorously through audiobooks, podcasts, blogs, and courses. I've never stopped learning. I'm 42 years old, and I consider myself a student of life. And because I never stopped learning, despite being a high school dropout, and because my education has never ended, I've filled my head with incredibly valuable information that I, in turn, have put into books. And those books have sold many copies and made me a lot of money. Because I decided I wouldn't take from people, I learned to give back to people through the mediums of video, audio, and writing. And giving to people has changed everything for me. Just like ownership of the good and the bad in my life, and just like the empathy Kenny showed me when I was being booked into jail. These three things have worked unbelievably in my life, and I hope you'll take them, and I hope you'll put them into your life. You can't imagine the life that you will be able to create once you decide to create your own life. Take care. Hope you enjoyed the podcast. If so, rate it from the place you downloaded it. For any questions, send an email to michaelpulser at gmail.com.